Well, we're in the book of James, and I was thinking James is like the, he's almost like the chiropractor of the, of the, um, the Bible. Um, I know when I go to an osteopath or a, a physio, they're quite gentle first before they quack you. But it seems James just sort of gets straight into it, just introduces himself, hi, I'm James, bang! You know, and he just, he just really lets, lets it happen. Um, we sort of heard the first week in James 1 about how he, he says, oh, look, if you're going through trials, you just, they're, they're awesome. Consider trials awesome. Yeah. And, and last week we are, when James preached, he was just time and time again just sort of saying, look, it's no good just coming to church, no good just hearing these sermons, you know, hearing God's word. It, it's, you've got to do it. You're only blessed if you do it. Don't, don't least listen to this stuff and then walk out the door and forget it. And this today is a very similar thing. It's a very harsh word. And as I sort of prepared, I don't think we get off scot-free. Uh, I wonder if there is someone would like to actually just read out the passage. Um, I've got it written here. It's going to be up on the screen, just the first 13 verses of James 2. Anyone would like to do that at all? James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favouritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting uh, wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy, uh, filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good uh, seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated against yourselves and become judges and evil thoughts, with evil thoughts? Uh, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom? Uh, He promised those who love him. Uh, But you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Uh, Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming uh, the noble name of him uh, to whom you belong? Uh, If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, uh, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. At this point, I was going to do a, a, a tiny little sketch with Chloe. She's not here. But I was going to say, Yo, Chloe, your mum wants you to square up your joint, yo. <laughs> Did you know what that means? Your mum wants you to square up your joint, yo. <laughs> Clean up your room. Clean up your room. Right on. Right on that. That's excellent. Clean up your room. Square up your joint, yo. And that'd be the hizzy. That'd be the hizzy. That'd be a hizzy. Yeah. And then she was going to say, okay. <laughs> Represent. Represent. That's the word tonight's term. Um, Represent means to, to 
to be a good example to others of, of, of who you belong to, to represent somebody. I want you to think for a second of your own family. And what words do you think represent them well? As you think about your own family, what do you think that word, those words represent my family? Things that are important to you. Put up your hand if you can think of a word that represents your family. You think, yeah, so I love that about my family. Accepting? Imagine for, if someone from your family was misrepresenting you. So why not being those things? They, 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 you, you really highly value them about your family. This is just so beautiful that our family are caring and loving and Christian. And... What if, they, if one member of your family wasn't? How would you feel? If they were really misrepresenting you. Deflated. Deflated, yeah. Let down. That's right. Well, that's exactly what's happening today in, in a really powerful way. James says in verse 1, My brothers and sisters... Let's go back to this line. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show their freedom. Favoritism. And there's two things to be aware of here. First, James is the actual earthly brother of Jesus. is his flesh and blood brother. So, not only can he say he believes in Jesus, he actually is tied physically to Jesus. The second thing, of course, is also part of that spiritual family that believes that Jesus is, is the glorious Lord and Saviour. And he joins others in that. So, in a sense, he gets the best of both worlds, really. Gets to be blood brothers with Jesus and be part of the family of God. So for James, though, it makes absolutely no sense. Can you see this? That the, the name Jesus and favouritism would ever go together. What is favouritism? It's an unfair preferential treatment of one person or one group at the expense of another group. So it just makes no sense in their setting, or in any setting, in any church situation, where you would have someone that would completely misrepresent what Jesus stood for. And Jesus gives an example of a wealthy, well-dressed man and a beggar, a filthy beggar, come into their church. In the church, they run to the man who's got, you know, got the beautiful clothes on. They go out of their way to make sure he's comfortable. The language is welcome. He's a good seat for you. You know, they, they give him the best seat they can possibly find. But they order the poor man around, go stand there, sit there. There's actually the words of the, of the command. What's their motivation? Well, there's, there's more to be gained, isn't there, it seems, to have friendship with the rich guy. He's got more to give him, more to offer. What does the poor man have to offer? And look, that's pretty natural in our world, but naturally people would, in a sense, be gravitated towards people 
them more. But the problem is that James can see it's misrepresenting Jesus. He got to not only see Jesus in ministry, he got to actually watch Jesus all his life. And Jesus tended to stay away from places where the rich gathered, didn't he? Where, wherever there was influence and power, Jesus would go there, but, but often he would just, we, we'd find him most of the time out in the countryside, going to people, going to the downtrodden people, people that were ripped off, people living in poverty, people that had need. In the Old Testament, the sign of God's blessing on your life was, you could, it was your bank account. If you were doing the right thing, you could expect God would bless you. So based on that understanding, people living in poverty somehow had this feeling, we've done something wrong and God's punishing us. And they were told that, they were taught that. It seems that you're like you are because you've done something wrong. Jesus, the Son of God, left heaven to come down to earth to tell them the real truth and the assurance God loved them. Jesus went to the poor. And as is the case in our world, the rich often were only rich anyway because the poor were getting ripped off. And so Jesus tells them God's truth and he favours the poor. And one day those who are exploited will be judged for what they've done. And interestingly, you know, Jesus says this in Luke 6, 20-21. He says, Blessed are you who are poor. Yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now. You will be satisfied. Jesus has such a love and a concern and a compassion. He goes and tells the poor, you know, you're blessed. You're, God loves you. God favours you. But verses 24 to 25, Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are fed now. You will go hungry. And again, he's just well aware in his time, and we certainly know in our world, that the vast majority of people are poor only because they're being exploited. And God's people, if you read the, you know, some of the stories in the Bible, God's people didn't get away with very much, did they? You think about the story of the money changers. But Jesus just went into the temple and tore it apart because of the way the people were getting exploited. And Jesus came to set a new standard. Those, those words from Matthew 25, what we do for the least of them, we do for him. And James says, well, exploitation is still going on. Jesus said that. This is what Jesus represented. We're supposed to be representing Jesus, but why is, why is this exploitation going on? Verse 6. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? So they're well aware. Not only are they rich out there, but they're, the rich are being welcomed in and getting the best seats. And James, you know, just seeing it done in the name of Jesus just makes him very sad that that's happening. And James says, that exploitation in verse 8 is blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong. So they're not getting away with it. They're supposed to be meeting the name of Jesus and he's saying you're actually showing favour to people who are just putting Jesus' name through the dirt. And the thing is, they know, the church knows that they're doing this. They know that the rich are exploiting them and dragging them to court. They know this is happening. How can that happen? Why is that? Why is it the church can see they're actively doing something that they shouldn't be doing and yet it, it seems to just be allowed to happen? I remember when I was a new Christian, uh, the church that I joined was in a town that had a, a really 
large indigenous population, and many of them lived on the missions just outside of town. And I'd, I'd often, um, you'd, you'd often drive through them, and they were you know, abysmal. They were, you know, they had holes in the walls, and just just a real, real mess. And many of the other people that lived there, they were angry. They, you know, there'd be a lot of fights around town between the whites and the blacks. It was, it was a real, real hard time, and it was expected. In that town, you just expected it was going to be like that. The problem was it extended to the churches. So the local Aboriginal population were, were just never expected to come to church. You just forget it. I mean, it's just ridiculous to think they'd ever be coming to their churches. I didn't realise that when I joined that church. You see, I always got on well with everyone in the town. I, I hadn't come from that, so I sort of you know, just happened to be working in the video arcade but um, pinball machine and that sort of stuff, yeah. And um, and I, I got to know a lot of Kuri kids, and I'd see how they were dressed, and um, and I, I'd hear their sort of interactions with their parents, and you know, my heart went out to them. So I quite often, you know, sneak in the feet and that. And um, so when I became a Christian, I was used to doing that. I, I sort of um, didn't see any divisions. It was just you know, treating everyone the same, and and help start an outreach into the community and, and for quite a lot of that time we'd go to the Drukies because they'd often be kicked out of their home and just sort of hanging in the streets. And we used to, at first, we'd, we'd cop it from them, you know, and we, we were whiteies and, and, you know, they'd, they'd give it to us. But, but over the time, built great relationships, not just with the kids, but with their parents, aunties and uncles. And we got to the point where we actually found that some of them had faith. They'd grown up in missions themselves and um, they had missionaries, but you know, they, many of them had real clear understanding of Bibles. So why don't you come to church with us? And and so that happened. We we got to invite some. I remember this particular person, really quite a, a broken person, but just felt enough um, friendship with us to, and trusted us to come to church with us. Well, I can guarantee you, you know, she wasn't welcome with open arms. Um, she, she was someone that was known in the town as loud and abusive. And what's she doing in the church? And I remember we tried to introduce her to some um, some of the old ladies in the church and they just wouldn't have a bar of it. They went out of their way, it seemed, to make her know that she was not welcome in this church. And, of course, that just, you know, it wasn't the only time that happened. It seemed any time this church was was interacting with that community, it just seemed to bring this war up. And, and I know, certainly know that the church is, is really, really laments that the fact that this is what it was like, particularly when I also found out about the church as I, as I was interacting with, with my workmates and that, they'd give me stories of some of the you know, wonderful men who'd get up and you know, uh, do the communion, some of our uh, deacons that would lead communion, just, just the way, some of their business practices, the way they treated some people. And, and yet these were people given the seats of honour and in my mind, I'm not just trying to reconcile that. You know, here they won't welcome some of the poorest people, some of the people who really want to grow in their faith, and yet other people who are obviously um, living lives that are, that are uh, suspect are allowed to take the best seats. So, in a sense, I can really relate to that. And I remember saying to my pastor at the time, "You know, is there another book?" Because it was quite he and I would, would quite often have this talk, and I just sort of say. Because I read this in the Bible, stuff like this, and then I see how the church is living. I just wonder, is there another book? Or we don't, you know, we don't really have to do this anymore? And, and of course, 
His answer was always, no, no, we actually, we, we still are, are, you know, bound to these, these conditions. So, it happens. It does happen that sometimes churches can get off track and repre- get off track and misrepresent the name of Jesus. It happens. Is there any hope for us? What's the solution? Well, it's actually easy. It's like everything in the Bible. It's easy on paper. It's just hard to put into practice. James says, you know, in the next slide, it's, if, if, if we keep the royal law, if we love our neighbours ourselves, that's wonderful. That's fantastic when we do that. But if we break that law, if we show favouritism, we sin. Now, according to the law, particularly the Old Testament stuff, if you sin, you're a lawbreaker. It's that simple. You know, there's no mercy, there's no, no clear, there's no sort of um, grey area there. You sin, you sin. In fact, you only need to, as, as James goes on to say, you only need to break one law to be guilty of breaking it all. That's how serious it was. In the Old Testament, it's terrible news. It was terrible news for the people. And before Jesus, most people really had that sense of, of, of guilt and, and concern of sin, you know, of being caught out. And James finishes like this. And this is a word of encouragement for us all. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over the judgment. It's, it's, it's an interesting verse because you're sort of, what's he saying when they're going to get judged? But then he finishes by saying, no, mercy triumphs. So it's a sort of, what's he saying? Well, he draws us back to Jesus, the one we're all asked to represent. All of us deserve judgment. All of us, the whole human race, deserve judgment but receive mercy. Jesus, as a gift, comes to live in us by his Holy Spirit. So as a result, he plants his law in us through the Holy Spirit. It's, it's something the Old Testament never would understand and somehow God comes to live in us and, and because he does we've all got that capacity to act as Jesus acted and this is why it's so I think why James gets so upset because we all have that capacity to, you know, with, with Jesus in us the law of love, the law that gives freedom should bring about love and, 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 and mercy for people and, and all the good things that happen to us, they're supposed to flow if we're bound to any law as Christians, it's that law of love. That law that says, and, and again, just echoing the words from this morning, words that are, you know, we should have the same attitude of Jesus, emptying ourselves of others, all right, we get blessed. That's Jesus' way, particularly those that are downtrodden, to go to them, to feel like that's, that love is flowing. And when we break laws, it's a perfect opportunity for us to go, Gee, I'm so glad that I was forgiven. I'm so glad that happened. Jesus longs to continue to show mercy. He's, he's, it's never at the point where he's, he's keeping a list and sometimes we'll cross a line and fail, big F on our paper, you know, life. And it's, it's just not like that. Jesus wants mercy to triumph. That's what the cross was all about. And he wants his love to flow because it's the law of love that brings freedom. So even though this has happened in this church, he doesn't want to say, well, that's it, you know. He wants them to sort of realise where they've come from, realise who Jesus is and model him, model what it looks like, what, what Jesus, if he was in their midst, 
would have been doing. He wants to change your heart. God's, oh God, God's not in the business of punishing. He, he wants us to, to actually have these opportunities to examine ourselves, to sometimes hear someone else say, you know, I think you're a bit off track, and then to go before the Lord, and it's, and it's the mercy of God that's supposed to, to, to triumph, not, not condemnation. In this situation, you know, there would have been, I hope, a conviction. Wow, you know, we've, we've really been misrepresenting Jesus. That's, that's heartbreaking to hear it from his brother. You know, like, we want to portray Jesus better. That's, that's what you would hope came out of these words. Not, not a sense of, you know, sometimes you, you, you can get all that pride wells up and you can sort of, um, you know, defences go up. What James and what the Lord desires is just that sense of represent Jesus well. I started by asking, how would you feel if your family was misrepresented? And I believe that it does us all the world of good sometimes just to have those opportunities to examine ourselves and say, am I misrepresenting Jesus? Am I, am I actually breaking any law? Because I, I would want that law of love to flow. I would want Jesus be represented. So, so remember that. You know, in, in your week, remember that's that's what the Lord longs for your lives. For mercy to flow. Just as you've been shown mercy, that, that you can show mercy and love. And know that he, he lives in you and longs for these things to flow from your life. That, that we can live in a way that perfect, perfectly represents Jesus. Nice simple one tonight, but profound, isn't it? So I think maybe just, you know, we'll just spend a, a little bit of time just in, in silence, not long. Just really, is there some way that we feel like we're misrepresenting Jesus? Is, is our, the Holy Spirit convicting us of anything? And if, if he is, just that so we would know, you know, Jesus represents mercy, not judgment. And that if, if he is convicting us, then, then, then know that he lives in you and, and longs to see mercy triumph over any judgment. part of James talks about faith without works is dead. Lord, we, we don't exist just to come to uh, church on Sunday somehow to just limit you to some small compartment of our life. As we've sung before, hearing your word, we surrender everything that we are, all our thoughts, every part of us, our actions. Um, may, may we work with you, Lord, to, to see mercy triumph, Lord. There are sometimes things that we do because that's what everyone does. But, but Lord, your word is greater. And I pray where your word brings conviction, Lord, that you'll um, allow others to draw alongside us and, and really encourage us forward to, to be more like Jesus, Lord. It is such a... Um, and we're all here tonight because that's what we ultimately want, to, to represent you well in our lives, Lord. Thank you so much we come to the Lord who gave everything, uh, who, who just, in a sense, uh, has shown us what it's like to represent you, Lord. And, and I do pray for anyone tonight that, that uh, feels that conviction, Lord, that, that 
that there's no sense of judgment more but that real beautiful sense of a freedom that can come. The judge, judged by the perfect law of history. So I thank you for your word and, and we want to just pray these things to you in the name of the one who we long to represent.